Sal Berry. There is still some good stuff going on in the hobby. It's just not all people trying to one-up each other with $10,000 cards. And Tim Parrish. If there's one thing that we say on here all the time is collect what you like. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry and along with me is Tim Parrish. And today we are joined by new Puck Junk writer and super collector. I hope you're a super collector because I just said you're one. Clemente Lisi, who is from New York. He went to the National and he's going to talk about his experience as an attendee of the National. And I'll talk about my experience as a dealer at the National, though I did that last year. So you're probably all bored of hearing about that by now. But uh, Clemente, how are you doing? Good, good. Thanks for having me. I'm here for the uh, more hockey goodness. So. And Tim, what's up with you, man? Oh, you know, just over here living the dream. Being as fine as a maiden's flaxen hair. So one of the things that <laughs> delayed us... No comment about, to that? No, no, I, I don't know what to say. I, I, what, I can't. What, a poet, what a poet. One uh, of the things um, that kept me from, or us, I should say, from doing a podcast is I was at the National, and I couldn't really record a podcast while I was at the National. I was busy before, during, and then even after. It was like, get something to eat, go back to the hotel, Rest. Oh, and by the way, the hotel had like zero internet access, even though it said that it had internet access. I had like no internet access at the hotel, and there was really limited, poor internet access at the convention center. So, like, I almost had like no internet for like six, seven days. So, I couldn't have recorded a podcast if I wanted to. And then after that, I was home for two days. Then I flew back to the East Coast this time to go to Niagara Falls for a wedding. So, I was in Atlantic City, New Jersey for five, six days, home back in Chicago for two days, then flew back out to Buffalo, Niagara Falls area for four days, just because I wanted to spend a little time there before the wedding. So all of these extracurricular things that are like so outside what I normally do, because I I never travel. I mean, now I'm starting to travel, but like I I was never like, oh, I'm going to go someplace. And now it's like I went two places in two weeks. So yeah, so that's why I didn't have a podcast. So that's my reason and I'm sticking to it. So anyway, Clemente, why don't we start with you since you are so kind to join us today. You wrote about your experience for Puck Junk, and that was really well received. You got a couple of comments on that, which is great because like nobody comments on any of the stuff that I write other than to tell me I'm wrong about something. And I <laughs> half the time I just delete those. You actually you've written a couple articles now for Puck Junk, and I'm you know, you get four, five, six comments, which in this day and age is a lot. Because now people just say what they want on social media and not actually leave a comment. So that's one metric of success, but what do you want to say about going to the national this year? You know, it was my first one. And as I said in the piece, um, I wanted to go back in 2020. I figured, Hey, it's close enough to New York city, about two and a half hours away. Of course, those plans were thwarted. And um, funny enough, I've been to Chicago twice for the spectacular. I've I've met you there. Um, And so, you know, I'm not averse to traveling, Um, but I figured, you know, what the heck I had to work that week, but I did have sort of a free day. And I thought, let me just jump on a bus and go down there and see what it's all about. Cause you know, I listen to a lot of content, you guys and a bunch of other people and everybody's talking about the national for weeks and weeks and weeks. So I don't usually get FOMO, but I thought it's really close. Let me do it. And interesting enough, I, you know, one day I was there and obviously one day I don't think is enough, but it's a snapshot of what's, 
what the national can be. And I think from what I've heard from people, Friday seemed to be one of the busiest days. Funny enough, I, I ended up taking one of these casino buses that leave New York City to go to Atlantic City. They, they, they go there every day. And usually they're filled with a bunch of, you know, blue haired old people who are going gambling. When I got on the bus to Manhattan in the middle of uh, Midtown Manhattan, there were like six, seven, eight guys with those Pelican cases. I, I was like, oh, I'm on the right bus. Like they were, they were already dealing on the bus there. It was crazy. So yeah, so I got a taste of the national basically two and a half hours before it even started um, in, you know, in New York City. And then I, you know, we got to Atlantic City and, and for anybody in the New York area, you know, Atlantic City is not the safest place in the world. It's not the kind of place people really want to go to. Though I will say, after what I saw at the national this time, if, if they had the national in Timbuktu, I think people would show up because people were there. They were they were doing a lot. And I guess my big takeaway, a few takeaways, obviously, but one of my biggest was how much baseball still controls the ebb and flow of the hobby. There was a lot of baseball there and a lot of vintage baseball. And I was kind of surprised. I thought maybe there'd be more football, basketball, and even more hockey, but there really wasn't. So, I mean, that was sort of my first impression. And also how big it is and how muscle flexing, you know, tops, fanatics, panini upper deck they were all trying to build the biggest booth and you know it was one of those mine's bigger than yours contest a little bit i thought especially fanatics they really with tops i don't know if you saw it sal but they kind of went big i thought i did walk around the corporate area a couple times before the show i think on like friday and saturday i did that and maybe sunday just because i was trying to connect with some people that i knew from those companies so it was just like once the show started i didn't really have time Every day they do the early admission at 9.30, but the show would actually start at 10. Uh, so I'd usually get there at about 8.30 because that's when dealers could come in. And then, you know, I would just like get my booth kind of set up really quick because after you set up the first day, you don't really need to set up everything again. A lot of dealers, myself included, have like a zipping, locking tablecloth. And then you throw tarps over stuff. And, you know, they got security there like 24 hours and stuff like that. So... I mean, if anybody really wants to steal some three for a dollar hockey cards, they're going to do it. And I can't stop them, but they're probably going to go after whatever they're holding at the golden booth across from my booth. Although they actually had their own security on staff. And uh, I will say this. I know the golden security guards are not listening to this, but just a shout out to you guys because... They made the show more fun because I had them to talk to and joke around because we were kind of looking at each other and one of them even bought a shirt from me. So, I mean, you kind of befriend the people around you. But I did walk over to the corporate area and try to talk to people and try to do that before, like, all the, the people came in. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, Tops Fanatics had a pretty obscenely large presence and, like, ComC had, like, that giant four-sided banner hanging above their uh, booth. I mean, yeah, everybody was like flexing, as you said. That's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. Were those security guards the same ones that were uh, blocking off Ken when he would walk around? Ken, Golden? Uh, no, they just kind of sat there and... Oh. Um, Interesting, because all the videos I saw of him walking the floor, he had his own security detail. Could have been. I went to the National for the first time in 2008, and I went for one day, and like Clemente said... You need more than a day. But when you never check it out, you just want to check it out. So I went for one day, and I literally went up and down the entire sales floor, took my time, and that took the whole day. And I didn't get to participate in any of the rapper redemptions or get any autographs or anything like that. So 
that was the first time. Then when it was back in Chicago in 2011, I was all in. I went all five days. I participated in all the rapper redemptions. I got the autographs that were included with my VIP badge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, double backed, had time to talk to somebody for 30, 40 minutes and not be like, oh, I'm burning time. It's like, well, I have a whole day and I'm making new connections and potentially new friends. So, you know, it's it's definitely a different experience. But then I went in 11, 13, 15, 17 and 19 as an attendee. Always enjoyed it. Always had a good time. Some shows better than others, but always had a good time. And in 2021 was the one where I first sold that. That was actually the first card show I did in a long time. I tried selling, had a local show in 2010, bombed out, said, ah, this isn't for me. And then I started doing shows again. Actually, let me walk that back. I did do a show in November of 2019 because that was right around the time I I launched my T-shirts, my puck junk T-shirts, my hockey wrapper T-shirts and stuff like that. So I'm like, well... I should be at a convention if I want to sell these things. I mean, let people know about them. They're not going to always come to my website and find them that way. So I did do a show in 2019, was going to do a show in March 2020 that got canceled. And then like the next show that I could do was the national in 2021. It was in Chicago. I knew people who had a booth there. They subletted me some space. Then I caught the bug and I'm like, oh my God, it's so much fun to sell things and make money. It does get a little, I don't say like to your head, but when you do something and you succeed at it, then you want to keep doing it. But then, like, I kept doing shows after that, and it's fun, but you don't get that same experience. Like, even if I wanted to get an autograph, I wouldn't have had time. If I wanted to participate in a rapper redemption, I wouldn't have had time. If I bought anything, it was because people brought it to me and said, you're buying hockey cards, would you buy any of this, right? Or it was like a surgical strike. Like, I'm going to go to that table that's over there, and buy one thing and then hurry back. That's kind of what it was like. It was busy. It was a busy show. Clemente, what time did you get in there? Because you, it took you about three hours to get yeah, in. Yeah, so I got there around 10.30. And when I got there, people were already in, obviously. And there was no line to get in. And I just got, I, I just walked right in. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was good. But yeah, it was it was just massive. I, you know, and I liked that it was one massive space there wasn't multiple rooms or anything like that it was just one big space i think atlantic city may be bigger than chicago in terms of the square footage just the location is not ideal and i I have heard rumors that maybe this is the last one in atlantic city so that that was another reason i thought i should go i'm like maybe they'll get it out take it out of the rotation and then what happens um right so and that was your first national he said yeah that was my first one it's funny I've, i've known about it for many many years just never had a desire to go because we have some pretty decent card shows in, in the new york region yeah including the white plains and yeah you got the white plains shows so yeah that's, and that's I think a big one yeah that's pretty big i mean that's about 400 tables and it's wow. sort of quarterly so that's pretty big um but the pandemic has obviously changed things and flow and interest so like you said sal you want to go to these big shows because just to see people meet people i mean it was hard because the wi-fi wasn't working and there were people i wanted to meet up with and i was mm-hmm. texting them and they were nowhere to be found. The reason I saw you is because I knew where your table was. Like I wrote in my piece, you were always very busy on, on that Friday. And you told me when we, you started that day, oh, I think today was going to be very busy. So maybe you were right. Friday was the crazy day. Friday and Saturday were both pretty crazy. Like Wednesday was slow. Thursday, Friday, Saturday were all very consistently busy. I think Friday, Saturday were maybe a little busier just because those are the weekend days. Sunday was not as busy. In fact, I probably started packing up a little early on Sunday. 
but Sunday was still a good day. I mean, if I didn't set up on Sunday, it would have been a loss. Tim, you could attest to this. Like, if you ever go to, like, the Chicago Sports Spectacular and you go on a Friday or a Sunday, like, Friday you have dealers who don't even bother to set up. And Sunday you have dealers who pack up, like, Saturday night and just go because they're like, well, I made enough money. And this way I could get home earlier. But like nobody does that at the National because it's the National. And also because it's really hard to pack up and leave because what a lot of the dealers do is they get to bring their cars or their trucks into the exhibition space to load. So you can't really do that until like 530 was like the earliest that was possible. So a lot of dealers just kind of slowly started packing some things up. And just kind of, you know, waited it out so that when it was time to bring in the trucks, they kind of had things ready to go in. I do appreciate that you did stop by. You said, hi, I was busy. And you, you know, you got there, you said like 1030 and you weren't there for all five days. So, I mean, you had a lot to do and and you had to get it all done in one day. So it was ironic that sort of the juxtaposition between that and the Chicago Sports Spectacular, where we talked, I think, for over an hour. Yeah, there were tumbleweeds at that show, I thought. And so by comparison, obviously, you can't compare anything to the national, but yeah, it was, it was bigger than I thought. And in my mindset, I thought, okay, let me go on Friday to avoid you know, a lot of beach traffic on the weekends in Atlantic mm-hmm. city and then in the Jersey shore in general. So I thought I'd avoid that. And I figured Sunday would be slow. I thought Saturday probably would be the biggest day because people are actually off on the weekend and want to go for the one day. And I think it's not unusual to find day trippers to the national, especially if it's in your metro area. So that's not unusual. I think, I mean, do you see that? Sal in Chicago, where people would just go for the day or the weekend, even uh, if they live nearby or for the national. Yeah, I can attest to that. Yeah, thing. You, you I've, been it, right? to, I've been to nine of them and I've only gone to one day every all nine right. times. But for what I do and what I'm there for, I can polish that off in a, in a good day. Yeah, maybe I don't see every single table, but I'm also not getting an autograph lines. I'm not a right. I'm not an autograph chaser from the standpoint of going and standing in line and waiting to meet the guy and talk to him for a second and have him sign whatever. I could be, I could see myself doing that, but I also like to have a house and pay my mortgage. So um, that's not feasible, but every time I've gone, it's been just the one day and you could do some damage in one day. <laughs> that's, that's, that's for sure. Yeah, and we've one, participated yeah. in all of the rapper redemption programs when we can. Right. And we've done a lot of the events. We've gotten into some of the breaks. You know, I've taken my kids. We've done all of that kind of stuff. So, you know, it it's possible. It, you just have to manage your time and figure out what, what it is you want to do and, you know, what you forego. You know, yeah, generally, one, yeah. I don't shop the vintage tables. Right. So, I mean, right. There's yeah, a third the, of the floor that I can just ignore. Right. Yeah, so, the one thing I, I couldn't do was sit, like, sit at one of those dollar boxes and go through every single car. I, mean, I couldn't do that because that could take an hour, an hour and a half. So I did do a lot of showcase, you know, and, and my want list was sort sort of varied, you know, I didn't know what to expect. I hadn't gone to t- the Toronto uh, sport card expo, which is a very different experience. I will say, and if you like hockey, I would definitely go there and not the national, to be honest, because just the percentage of hockey that's there obviously is way bigger. Absolutely. Um, the one thing is confusing is that you have to, constantly keep thinking in Canadian dollars as opposed to American, but that's the only thing that I found challenging in, in Toronto. You know, in some ways, Toronto might be even closer to me than Atlantic City just by flying there, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of funny that way that that if I had to pick one or the other, and I actually went to Toronto for the whole whole thing, because mm-hmm. in my mind, I was not going to go to the National at all. 
And then as it got closer and closer, I thought, let me just do a hit and run. Let me just go quick, come back. I can all do this in 24 hours. And yeah, like Tim said, he's done it before. I, it was great. I think you can do it, like you said, in a day or two. I know people that went for five and told me, oh, by day three, I was just, I was bored or there was, I seen it all already. I mean, and that's that the thing. That's the thing. If you're not a dealer and you need to be there in order to capitalize on the sales, once you get past a certain point, unless you're really there to get the autographs for the guys that are scheduled on the different days to sign, it's kind of the same recycled thing every day. I mean, you can take part in the different events that are going on on the stages with its different speakers and all that. But, you know, again, the sales floor is the sales floor. You know, pretty much the same thing that's there on a Wednesday and Thursday is also there on a Friday and Saturday. But yeah, but maybe not on Sunday. Well, the thing (laughs) is, is like people would say, oh, do you have do you have this card or do you have a card of this player or a rookie card of this player? And I would say, I think about it for a second. I said, you know what? I'm sorry. I did have that card, but I sold it yesterday or I sold it an hour ago or I sold it two days ago. And so sometimes just luck of the draw. People will pay more money to get in half an hour early. That was, I guess, the VIPs and the super VIPs got to come in a half an hour early. And that's the five day admission. They didn't really do that. I mean, that first half an hour was nothing. It was was when they let everybody else in. There'd be like a wave of people that would just come in. It kind of makes sense, though. That's the thing. If it doesn't make sense in order to have the package, if there's not something that's going to be feasible for somebody to say, hey, I'll pay the extra $100 or whatever it costs for the admission. Whether this is the case or not, I, I think the vast majority of people that were vocal about it on social media have kind of said that some of the extra VIP stuff was kind of kind of lame this year. So I don't know. I can't speak from that. So I mean, I don't know, because usually what you'd get, you get a goodie bag and there'd be like a like a, an exclusive five card set from tops and an exclusive eight card set from upper deck or something like that. Right. Like there'd be like the VIP only sets that you'd get from like the major card companies or stuff like that. When I would go and I'd buy the VIP pass, it was because I liked to get those autograph tickets for the, they call them the VIP signers. And I'll just say those are the cheap signers. You know, the guys who are charging very little, very little is relative. I mean, 20 to $30. I think at this show it was like $29 was kind of like that price point. So like players like Don Money, the baseball player, and Stephen Baker, no hockey guys, unfortunately. But what I would do is I'd get those tickets and I would trade with other people. I'd see somebody in a White Sox jersey and I'd say, hey, I got this autograph ticket for Ron Kittle. Would you trade me an Eddie Olchek or a Murray Bannerman or a Pierre Pilat or whoever it was? Like this is again at the Chicago show. So then I'd end up with like a bunch of like autograph tickets for like the same guy. So then if you're waiting in that line, you're getting 10 autographs from Marcel Dion and not just one, you know, and, and everybody would do that. They would They'd swap them with one another. And to me, that's what makes it worth it. If there's enough people you want to get autographs from, and you're going to go anyways for five days. I mean, you could pay 25 bucks out of pocket for one day, or you could buy the five-day pass, and then you get the autograph tickets. It's cheaper admission, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of the autographs, I mean, there were a few hockey guys there. I mean, I would have wanted to get Brian Leach or someone like that. But, you know, to go on on that day and then spend half the day, because I did venture to where the signers were, and it was – bedlam over there it was really chaotic and people are waiting in line for a long time and so i didn't even try that but yeah i would have liked to have met him for example and yager was there and 
he was in Toronto, which is funny because in Toronto, the people in Canada are just much nicer and the, the crowd was just more orderly. I remember mm-hmm. when they, you know, when they, when Yager was there, they all applauded mm-hmm. and they all lined up. And then here, I don't even know, I didn't even see him. But when I saw his name that he was going to be on the list, all I can think is that maybe he's in the, he wants to cash in a little bit now. He's, he's doing shows now regularly. So, um, and he's expensive. I think in Canada, he was $150 Canadian. So, and here he was like 149 American. Yes. So he's expensive, but, but people want this him. This is the know. first time I've seen him on an autograph list in a long time. It's the yeah. first time he's done a national. Right. Even smaller shows. I know you said he was in Toronto, but even some of these other shows that have uh, TriStar sponsors and, and have a lot of guys. I haven't seen him do shows like this for years. So uh, a couple notes I just want to mention here. So my big sellers for the five days, if this is any indication of what's hot in hockey right now. Of course, you always have your mainstays like Ovechkin and Crosby. I don't have rookie cards of either of them. And it seemed like unless it was like an Ovechkin young gun or a Crosby young gun, nobody was very interested in anything else. Like I had a couple of nice Crosby jersey cards that shocker nobody was here. interested in. Hmm? It's a shocker there. Right. You know, I mean, and every now and then to sell like maybe a couple of like $1, $2 Crosby or Ovechkin cards, but like, they'd be like, got any Ovechkins? And I'd be like, eh, everything I have is like between $2 and $10. Oh, okay. Like they wouldn't even look, they wouldn't even think, hmm, maybe I can find something I need. But then every now and then I'd get somebody who would buy like $20 worth of Ovechkins because I'd have all these inserts that they didn't have. I don't want to say the true collectors, but you know, the true collector is going to be like, I collect this guy. I don't have that card. It's two dollars. I'm gonna buy it. The investor is only looking for that very high end. How dare stuff. you use that word? So the players, anything Kale McCarr sold. If I had ten more of his cards, they would have sold. Even second year cards sold. Parallels sold. It didn't have to be a rookie card. If it had Kale McCarr on it, I sold a tops sticker of Kale McCarr. Okay, that's how hot he was selling Tim when I was able to sell a tops hockey sticker of kale mccarr i'm convinced you just you're just inserting that to get the sticker talk into the podcast no i was just (laughs) he can't go one episode he has to say that word okay so kale mccarr and of course you know knowing the region jack hughes big seller for me adam fox igor shesterkin flyers legends like bobby clark eric lindros ron hextall rick tockett uh and then also more cider i mean because he won rookie of the year I sold a lot of t-shirts at this show, even though it's the middle of summer, people yes. are like, oh, cool, hockey shirts, right? And that's great because I might do the Chicago Sports Spectacular. I might sell like 10 to 15 shirts and I go, okay, this is good. But then I might like put the shirts on sale, send an email out to everybody that's on my list and get like, sell like one shirt. And I'll be like, nobody likes the shirts. I suck. I made a mistake. These are terrible. And I do the national and then I sell like 40 shirts and I go, okay, I'm onto something. People like them. You know what I mean? And that's good because then that gives me money to do new designs. Like my latest design, the fat guy hockey shirt was actually a popular seller at the show. And I was smart enough this time to get them in three X and four X and those sizes sold pretty well for me you know as i continue to grow you know the t-shirt and i'll say part of my business because i don't really have a business so that's fun like when you make shirts and then people buy it and like oh i love it these are great you're oh that's the 88 89 wrapper i love it i'll buy one you know what i mean then then that's inspiring right okay i'm on to something here i'm not just some 
guy who printed up a bunch of shirts that everybody hates and I'm going to be stuck with until I die. <laughs> We've talked about that before. Those are the perfect thing for a captive audience. You know, having them on a website and stuff, people have the, you know, people who make the choice and just click the X and go away, even though they think it's cool. And every time anybody sees any of those shirts, whether it's us wearing them or somebody randomly wearing one, they're always like, oh, where'd you get that? It's really cool. Having that captive audience, like that's your audience is right there in the building. Did you know how many you sold? Do you have an idea? I don't want to say. We'll just oh. say it was over 40. That's over awesome. 40, less than 50, you know. That's awesome. I don't want to awesome. like brag, oh, I sold all these shirts and I sold all these cars. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to talk like dollar signs. I always want to know if you sold any, because that's always been like the I don't want to say the well, sticking point, but that's you know. kind of what got me back into doing the shows, though, is because I started with these shirts and I said, Well, I gotta start doing the shows. So when I did that show in November of 2019. I didn't bring any cards. I just brought shirts. And then I thought to myself, okay, well, if I'm going to go through the trouble of being at a show, I'm going to bring more stuff to sell. So then when I was going to set up in March of 2020, I actually had quite a few cards set aside that I was going to bring. That show got canceled. Then when I did the national in July of 2021, I was like, all right, I'm going to bring cards and I'm going to bring shirts and I'm going to see what happens. And they both were successful for me. Obviously the cards were more successful because that's where the hobby really focuses on. I mean, the guy that I was splitting booth space with, he had ticket stubs and he had programs and he had some stuff going as far back as like 1910, like old programs or books or stuff like that. And that's a different mentality. Like people want a card of a player. They might be willing to spend money on a really good ticket stub but it's not for everybody. Like to the right person, they go, oh my God, that's $200 for that ticket stub. And that was the game where this happened. I'll buy it. So Darren oh. Ravel wasn't there to buy all his, his inventory? No, he wasn't. <laughs> so yeah, so the, the shirts were good. And you know, another thing, like the three for a dollar cards, because I, I pretty much anything that's like under like, you know, a couple bucks and down, I just throw in a three for a dollar box. Because I don't want to mess around like, oh, this card's $1.50. Oh, this card's $2, right? Like, I mean, of course, if it's like Ovechkin, you know, it's like maybe two bucks and up. But I had like inserts, parallels, star cards, stuff like that, like numbered cards of maybe not super popular players. But I don't want to just say shit I want to get rid of, but kind of like just that stuff that you go, well, this is too good to be a common because nobody wants to buy a common at a show. I mean, it's, it's very hard to sell commons at a show. You know, like Clemente said, you don't have the time to sit and go through boxes of cards. So you're not going to be like, oh, I need 10 base cards to finish my 2021 Upper Deck Series 2 set, right? You're not going to spend your time there. But I had a guy going through my three for a dollar boxes. He spent two and a half hours. Old man, nice old man. He was a Canucks fan. He was from New Jersey, but he was a Canucks fan. And he methodically went through all my three for a dollar boxes and he picked out every single Canuck card. And he was thrilled because he was finding like Topps gold cards from 92, 93 and 93, 94 and Parkhurst Emerald ice cards and insert cards of like Pavel Bure and stuff like that. And he was just thrilled to get all these Canucks cards like in one purchase, you know? So it's great when everything, so like you say, runs the gambit. When it runs the gambit from your three, four dollar cards to your cards that you're selling for a couple hundred dollars when you 
sell everything in between. My joke to my uh, my colleague, the one who had the ticket stubs and the programs, I said I was the king of $5 sales at the show. And five bucks might be a base hit, but you get enough base hits, those runs start adding up. So people be like, oh, cool, Rick Tockett rookie, five bucks, I'll buy it. Mike Aruzioni rookie card for five bucks, cool, I'll buy that. You know what I mean? Like it was just, oh, cool, cool jersey card for five bucks, I'll buy that, right? Like it was just that kind of show for me. I mean, obviously it wasn't all just $5 cards, but it's good when your best stuff sells and your low end stuff sells. Then to me, that's success. It sounds like you were the, also the beneficiary of volume. Lots of people coming in, and hockey is not like I said. There weren't a lot of hockey dealers, so if if you had a nice booth, so people are gonna. I mean, like I said, my piece. You look, you're, you're always very busy, and so I think if you gravitate to the hockey ones, you know, um, especially if they have stuff like inserts and other things that you are not gonna see anywhere else. So I mean, in that sense, you're gonna do a lot better than you would at a regional show for that reason, I think, because just the, the massive amount of people coming through there and then a number of days too. So it sounds like it was really, really good sales for you. I will just add one thing to this, but I got a question for you. The things that did not sell that surprised me that I thought should sell, I hardly sold anything New York Islanders. Hmm. I had some nice Islanders cards. I had like a Mike Bossy autograph. I had a Pat LaFontaine jersey autograph card. I had a couple of like autograph rookie cards and like just rookie cards of like current Islander stars. And I don't think I sold anything unless it was just like some random, maybe it was an insert that somebody needed for an insert set. But yeah. That also doesn't shock me. Rangers, Devils, Penguins, Flyers, all good sellers at the show for me. Islanders, woof. Blackhawks, of course, yeah. woof. I have the feeling that that a lot of the hockey people are buying now is is in the last five or ten years. Like you mentioned, Adam Fox, Justerkin. I mean, these are all current players, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think mm-hmm. when you think Islanders, you think 1981, 82, you know, Paul Lafontaine and, you know, that kind of stuff. So I feel like maybe maybe it's, you know, and then also the Islanders are just really relegated to Long Island, I think. The fan right. base. The Ranger fan base is pretty big in, in the New York area and New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And then you have the Philly area. So I think I'm not surprised. Like like Tim said, I'm not surprised by that at all. Yeah, Kalani hit it on the head right there. You have a deluge of younger collectors. Mm-hmm. And everybody that's jumped into the hobby over the last two, three years, the Islanders, let's, let's face it, the Islanders have sucked. I mean, that's plain and simple. So... But you got this up-and-coming Rangers team with all these young players that are exciting to watch. You've got this Devils team who's young. It's had some pretty high draft picks in the last few years. They're on the up-and-coming. The kids are going to get excited about that stuff, and the adults are going to get excited about it if their kids are excited about it. And then, two, I've heard this before, too. Islanders fans are, like, isolated. Right. They're in that pocket. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't get the people that venture off the island, chances are you probably don't get the bulk of the Islander fans. So that, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. I was able to cater to the people who wanted cards of current star players, rookie cards or good insert cards, etc. But I was kind of happy that I did have a couple of buyers who they were kind of like the kind of collectors that like we are in the sense that like, this guy came up and he's like, I collect goalies. And I'm like, oh, any interest in a Ron Hextall rookie? He's like, oh, yeah, I want that. 
I got a John Van Beesbrook rookie. I want that too. I got a Tom Brasso rookie. I want that too, right? Like he was just so excited about that. Whereas most people would be like, oh, Ron Hextall, he's not Carter Hart, so I don't want him. And then like another guy was like, I collect tough guys. So he wanted Wendell Clark. He wanted Bob Probert. He wanted, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the, oh, I had a Chris Nyland rookie card. And he was like over the moon that I had one at the show, right? And you're thinking, who in his right mind brings a Chris Nyland rookie card to sell at a card show? Well, we have our answer now. We, we know who that is. That person is me. So I cannot sell you a PSA 10 Ovechkin Young Gun but I can sell you a Chris Nyland 83-84 OPG rookie, right? So I'm good at making some collectors happy, but some collectors I can't make happy, and I just learned to accept that. Then unless I'm going to sink, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into buying a card that they're then going to want to try to lowball me on, you know. All right, so since I wasn't there and had the view from a distance, mm-hmm. I got to throw out the elephant in the room question. Prices. Everybody was bitching and moaning about prices and comps, 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 comps. Everybody knows my opinion on this, I think, by now. What say you guys from the dealer side and from walking the floor side? Clemente, would you like yeah. to start? Whoever, whoever wants think, to go first. Yeah, no, I think the prices were a little higher than they should have been. And I think there's always a little wiggle room, though. I don't, I don't think on a Friday you get a negotiated price with a dealer, obviously. Maybe on Sunday you would. You couldn't check comps because there wasn't Wi-Fi in the room. So <laughs> so that was part of it. You think that was by design? <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, I don't know. But it was annoying. You know, I have a different kind of etiquette. I'm old school. Like, I don't check the comps in front of the guy. Like, I might ask the price or you don't pull out a Beckett from four years ago? Yeah, I know. Or, or, or well, I think people actually, it's funny, people, a few people had Beckett's because maybe they already had them, but, it, you know, because of no Wi Fi, you know, they couldn't see the prices. But the prices were a little high. I also have a, a rule with dealers, and I'm not offending Sal here. I know he does, he does what I like, which is he's got the price on there. These dealers don't have prices on there, and it's almost like, well, how much is this? And then they throw out a price, and it's like a museum piece price oh this is five thousand dollar cards like oh okay well you know forget it so if you have prices on there that's helpful so i think the comps were higher than normal that's what i noticed and there was very little negotiating they weren't really negotiating you know i I overheard one guy negotiating over some card i don't know know what it was and the guy was like look i just set up it's very expensive to come to Atlantic city to set up and you know I, i can't do better and you know the guy just walked away and so and I think it is expensive to set up and it's expensive to be in a hotel for five days. I get all that. So, but I think comps were a little, I think it was priced high considering that people are saying that we're in a downturn. Also, you know, we're in a bad economic period. I couldn't tell people were buying, people were shopping in there. So. Well, before Sal answers, I just want to say, do you expect, so as a buyer, yeah having the mind frame of I'm going to a physical show and I'm not shopping on eBay, right? I'm leaving my house. I'm putting on pants and I'm going to a show. You're there in person. The dealer's there in person. The merchandise is there in person. You have to know, not you specifically, but in general, as a buyer, you have to know that there are costs involved with that type of thing. And it blew my mind how many people just didn't understand that or feel that you can just 
essentially give stuff away at rock bottom prices. I'm not saying you need to go like full bore, like everything's 35%, 40% markup, but there has to be some cushion in there in order to make back, you know, the cost. This reminds me a little bit of whenever I sell someone a car, say I go to a show and I have a car I want to sell to a dealer. I want to do a trade. I always say, look, I know this car is worth $500, but you're not going to give me 500 for it because you got to make money on it. I get it. So I'll give it to you for 350 or 400. You could, there's yeah. wiggle room there. Right. Any, anybody who's watched Palm Stars knows this, right? Like yes. I can't pay you the price I would sell it. Otherwise I would be doing charity here. Right. I, I'm, I'll make no money. So I think a lot of buyers don't understand that. I think I agree with you on that, Tim, yeah. but but I thought things were a little inflated because I think. So you're saying that they're above and beyond that level. Yeah. yeah. And maybe they do that so you can okay. negotiate a little bit, but some dealers didn't want to negotiate. And I kind of find negotiating fun. Not, sure. I don't want to offend people, but I think part of it is because you're right. Otherwise I had another friend of mine who I told, Hey, I went to the national and he was like, why'd you bother going? You just sit at home and for the price of a bus or hotels, or you just go on eBay and get stuff. And I said, it's part of the experience. It's part of the fun of, having conversations, talking to people, reminiscing about stuff. I mean, it's it's nice to be in a room with thousands of people who have the same sickness as you, which is, hey, they're into cards. Hey, they're into this. It's it's kind of fun to come together. And so I said, you you know, you're also there for the experience. You can go to the National and come away with one card maybe or two. You don't have to go there and do a lot of damage. I can do a lot of damage on eBay tonight if I wanted to. It's not the same thing. And so I think things were above and beyond, especially, you know, there's people always pumping, right? Not mm-hmm. hockey, but I'm talking about other stuff like, oh, forget about Fleer, Michael Jordan rookie. It's the star rookie is this thing now. PSA is, I've been hearing that since the national. Everyone's pumping that card now. And mm-hmm. at the national, people were talking about that card. And I thought, oh, okay, well, this is part of the performance art that is the national, which is people have to come together and show off their big booths, you know, if you're a corporate guy. At the same time, though, it's also a place to pump cards. You know, Mickey Whoever Mantle controls Mickey the Mantle. money, controls the narrative. Yeah, Mickey Mantle. Everything is Mickey Mantle. You know, Mickey yeah. Mantle. You know, so. Well, they did have that huge auction with that uh, card. Did that right. sell actually? It's I know still, it was up I think to it's like still going. It's still going. Okay. I think. Yeah. I it was up to like seven point eight million or something. The last time I saw it's it, it's going to probably break the Hannes Wagner record from a couple of days ago. So it's, yeah. All right. So Sal, from your end, basically the same question. And I know you, we get this all the time. It's, can you do better on this 50-cent card? How much of that was going on? I got some of that. So I want to mention a couple of things just to kind of tie in to what we're talking about with comps and such. But uh, a couple of the complaints, lack of parking. People, they didn't have places to park. And so they were complaining because they'd have to park and then they'd have to take a cab or an Uber from where they parked. So there's even uh, more money. Right. So that's part of it. Part of the problem. I heard that the concession stands were running out of food. That's what I heard. I didn't buy any of their food there, but I did take a couple photos of the menu. I noticed that they had the menu on like a like a sandwich board, I guess you call it, outside of where you'd walk in to get the food. And they listed all the food they had, but not the prices, which is always a bad sign. When you see the food listed, but not the prices listed next to it. So I went in there and like, you know, a bacon cheeseburger with fries was like $17 just to kind of give you, or 15, without, 15 for a cheeseburger with fries, 17 for a bacon cheeseburger with fries. And then I want to say that like, that's like the, more than stadium prices. Maybe the Philly steak. I'll have to check. I got pictures on my phone of it. Cause I think it's funny that the same people who are 
basically paying over comps for a hamburger are complaining about paying for over comps for a trading card. Like I wanted to see these That's bros, a very good point. these bros with their cases, with their phones being like, Hey, uh, cheeseburger at McDonald's is four ninety five. Why am I paying $15 here? I'll give you $5 for it. You know what I mean? It doesn't work that way. Right. I mean, one thing when people would lowball me on stuff, okay, let me, not everybody lowballed me. Actually, I don't think most people did. Most people were actually very polite. Uh, I don't think I really had any arguments with anybody or really anything bad. Um, hockey card people are rational. For the most part. But the thing is, is that, uh, yeah. I'm sorry, they did are. I say that out loud? No, you know what it is? It's the non-hockey people trying to sell me stuff. And yes. then they get offended when I don't want to give them what they want for it. And then yep. I explain to them that I need to sell it and make a profit. There was this young this nice young man, probably like 10 or 12. And he wanted to sell me a card for $15. And he's like, well, you could sell it for 20. I said, no, just because one sold for 20 on eBay doesn't mean that I would also sell this card for 20 on eBay. I said, if you think I could sell it for 20, I only want to give you like five to 10 because honestly, because somebody might only want to give me 10 or 15 for it. Just because a card sold for this much in the past doesn't mean it's going to sell for that again. But that goes both ways, right? Like, if an Igor Shesterkin Young Gun canvas card sells for $175 on eBay, that doesn't mean that the next one needs to sell for $175. I feel like, well, I can ask $200 for this because the card is on a steady incline, right? So people sometimes think, well, it sold for $180 on eBay. I'll give you $170 or I'll give you $180. And you could say yes, of course, or you could think, well, no, this card is on an upward trajectory. I want to be the guy who breaks that next. You, you know, people bidding on the Mickey Mantle rookie that we just talked about. Well, not rookie, 52 tops, but sorry, everybody calls it the rookie, but whatever. They don't say, well, the last one sold for $4 million, so I won't pay any more than $4 million for this one. And then the bidding ends at $4 million because that's what the last one comped for, right? My joke is that nobody wants to buy a bunch of, five dollar cards and then say can you cut me a deal on this although sometimes they do they'll grab a stack of five ten dollar card oh heck yeah i'll cut you a deal on that you know what i mean but when it's like they want to cherry pick the one card and they're like oh that hot rookie card can you do any better on that and i'd say no i'm sorry i can't and a lot of times the person would nod they'd reach into their wallet and they'd hand me the money and then they would thank me and i wasn't like gouging but I wasn't going to like bend over backwards to like give away my best stuff because I have to make money. It cost me money to be there. It cost me money. Me and a friend road trip there. We spent money on gas. We spent money on hotel. We spent money on food because you're there for five days. You're not going home and cooking. You can't. Right. So all of these things influence the prices. But at the same time, you're also giving people the opportunity to get a lot of stuff that they want at once. Sometimes they could get a lot of the stuff at a bargain. Like if you have the time to go for the dollar boxes, quarter boxes, in my case, the three for a dollar boxes. Um, so were things over comps? Yeah, sometimes I had things over comp. Sometimes I had things under comps. I guess it just depended what it was and what I thought I could sell it for and what I thought was fair. Sometimes you can have a high price that's still fair. You know, it just Absolutely. it just it just depends what end of the spectrum you're on. Like I give you an example of like a low end price. Again, I don't I don't want to really talk about like oh I made this much money selling this particular card. So I'll give like some low ball examples. I had a Rick Tockett rookie for five bucks. Card comps are like five to ten. 
Some dude was like, oh my God, I have to have that. Tockett was such an awesome flyer. Guy had no problem paying five for that. Ron Hextall rookies also comp for about five to 10, but I was putting his rookie card at $10. And I had two of them and I sold both of them. And both people were very happy to pay that. One guy was a longtime Flyers fan. And he's like, oh my God, he's trying to explain to his kid how cool Ron Hextall was, right? It's like, this is arguably the greatest Flyers goalie ever, right? And then the other guy was like a goalie collector. He was a new collector. He wanted goalies. And then you walk to my table and boom, here we have Ron Hextall, Tom Barrasso, John Van Beesbrook, Ed Belfort, Dominic Hasek, Martin Brodeur, both American and Canadian score, rookie cards, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? Again, none of these cards super glamorous. You're not going to like, you know, buy a house with them when you resell them in five years. But if you're building a collection, those are the kind of cards you sometimes want. So yeah, I mean, I didn't really get a chance to shop at other tables, so I couldn't really tell you about comps. I'm just being honest about how I price things. But Clemente, I want to ask you, was there a lot of hockey out there? Was it like last year, Tim said that there were a lot of people selling hockey, but there was really nobody who specialized in hockey except for me. If I could still be that guy, the guy with the most hockey, not necessarily the best hockey, no PSA 10 Ovechkins, but I'll take the most hockey over the best hockey, I guess. Yeah. yeah, last year it was you, and there were two other people that had an abundance of hockey, and that was it. But you had by far the most in the smallest space. So, yeah, and no, I think that holds true. The ones I saw were people who mostly had baseball, and then they had a showcase where they had some vintage football and some hockey. And like I said, you know, there's there's a lot of um, you know, it seems like any Gordy Howe card now is is in the showcase. You know, I think that, who knows, maybe that's something people are interested in now. Um, you know, Bobby Orr, you know, Guy Lafleur, that kind of stuff. And then you have the Sidney Crosby, Ovechkin stuff, you know, the high end, you know, the, uh, the rookie, the young mm-hmm. guns, the graded Beckett stuff, that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. that's all you really saw. You know, in the showcase, it was like the big names, something that they can get three, four figures for. And then that was it. You had, uh, I think, a, a bigger array. And I think I think you still hold the title. Um, so, that's, Yay! so that's good but I, i'd love to see more hockey at these shows of course. I, you know i don't want to you know i think it's a lot of people speculating on hockey and but you don't see a lot of it out there because a lot of dealers who do you know there's also a lot less soccer in formula one i thought than there would have been a year ago and definitely a lot less of this new basketball stuff so maybe the bubble on that is burst especially the basketball um i think a lot of people are thinking you know why would i spend all this money on a zion rookie when i could buy like uh Hey, a star Michael Jordan rookie that nobody cared about until last week. Or I can buy a, um, you know, I can buy the Bowman Mantle real rookie card and not buy this guy who's only played in the league two years, never won anything, and could blow his knee tomorrow, and and that's the end of that. So I think you'll see, you know, the the vintage stuff is definitely a bigger deal, and I think maybe hockey vintage could be a bigger deal potentially. I don't know. I think it's oh. interesting that you brought up the uh, the cooling off of the soccer in the Formula One because I know you're a soccer guy. Yeah. And um, I don't know how much of your collection focuses on that, but I imagine some, if not yeah, no, a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because I've talked about soccer cards with a lot of people, and I'm not going to do that here. But for soccer, it's mostly stickers. Great. It's Sal excited there. But it's only stickers, Panini stickers, that kind of thing. And the cards are fairly new. But, you know, soccer is the same as basketball. You see a lot of these, like, parallels, low number, 
that sell for high prices and that gets people excited. I'm a big defender of base cards. I love base cards. I don't care. And, you know, if I pull a parallel, that's amazing. But if I pull someone's rookie and it's a base card, I don't care if it's $5. It's a rookie card I want right. in my collection. And that's how I treat hockey like I treated any other sport, baseball or, you know, soccer. So, but I think there's a cooling off with soccer because for whatever reason, I think the World Cup will help that. As you know now, sports or sports cards are like day trading. And I think we saw that with, you know, Sal mentioned Kel McCarr, obviously coming off the Stanley Cup. That's why people are interested, right? They, they watched him play. They won the Stanley Cup. I, yeah. I'm surprised Nathan McKinnon doesn't get more love. And I think his, I mean, I think he's a superstar. And, you know, you don't see people rushing around trying to get McKinnon cards. They're all looking for Ovechkin, you know, because yeah. they hear that he's going to break the Gretzky scoring, you know, the goals record. That's what they care about. They care about that. And they care to either flip it or as an investment. I know you hate that word, but that's what they're thinking. And we're not thinking that way. We're thinking of, I need that for my collection or I need that for my set. And I think we go into it totally different. I mean, when Sal mentions people that I haven't even met who are excited over a Van Beesbrook rookie, that gets me happy. Like, I'm excited right. to hear that because I'm like, yeah, he's underrated. We can reminisce about him. And, you know, it's his rookie card. And, you know, it's, it's you know, he's a legend. He's, he's a great player, a great goalie. And so I think that's what, you know, when you're into it, with your heart is a little different than when you're into it with the guys on the bus. I saw what the case is. Those guys don't care about hockey or anything else. They care about flipping. They care about starting small and then trying to get that one card they want. Right. Or that one card they can say, Hey, look, I got this card. It's a little different mindset. I mean, look, there's something for everybody. And that's the beauty I think of, of the national or even just collecting in general. So can you imagine getting on that bus in 2018 and all those guys with those cases you would have no idea what was in there other than their guns. Right. What's funny, which is funny, because when the bus let off, we had to walk to the convention center, as, as, as uh, Sal mentioned. You know, not, you know, the bus didn't pull up in front of the convention center. We went through some pretty interesting parts of town, and all I kept thinking was, wow, if the locals here knew what these guys had in these cases, these guys wouldn't make it to the convention center. You know? And so it's pretty amazing that these guys walk around with these silver cases that are very, you're right. You say guns. I don't know what they're for. Yeah. Like everybody's Originally. carrying around gun cases or tool cases, right. but yet they're filled with trading cards. Right. It's like, what? Right. Is this for real? I will not forget like a couple, wasn't last year's national. It was the one. So it would have been two years ago. That's when those first started popping up. And it was like every 10, 15 people, you'd see somebody with one. And then last year, it was insane. Like I remember, my wife, I remember, my wife and I went, yeah. and it was just she kept pointing everyone out, and she was just, well, I won't use the expletives <laughs> that she uses to describe them, but you, you get the picture. Those those that know my wife, they understand. <laughs> I remember a year ago listening to the podcast and, and you guys talking about it, and how yeah, that was kind of a thing. But you're right. In 2018, I I would have wondered what what are those cases for. Yep. Look, I'd get one of those cases to keep my cards in at home if it's fireproof. But Sal, see me. I walk around the show with a 400 count cardboard box. That's my pumpkin case. Like yep. you know, I walk around with that. I put my cards in there. I put it back in my bag, and I've been doing that for years. So I have cardboard boxes. I have right. those little plastic cheapo yes. sorter boxes that yes. you could buy in like a Target Ultra and Pro. stuff. Ultra Pro makes those too, right? With yeah, I have those, top. and I stick right. them in my rolling backpack, and that's exactly it. that's my yes. protection. So yeah. those bro cases were out in full force this year. And little kids had them. Little kids like little them. kids have them, and grown-up kids have them. And buying is hard, 
at a show. It's easy if you're buying as a buyer. If you're just going around and you see a card, it's 10 bucks, you want to pay it, you don't want to pay it, or yes, the guy, can you take eight, right? Like those are your choices. You buy it, you don't buy it, you negotiate, right? But if you're buying, if you're if you're selling at a show and people want to sell you cards, so then you buy buy them from them, it's hard because a lot of them have this expectation that I have this hundred dollar card. I see Sal is selling hockey cards. I'm going to sell them this $100 card for $100. And I want to say, I don't say this, but I'm thinking, no, if you want $100 for that card, you should get a table and set up like I did because I'm taking a risk by being here. I did a card show a couple months ago. It was a local show and I didn't really make a lot of money at it. I, I you know, I, I made back my tables, but it was not a good show. But you know what? You, you take a risk, right? National is maybe less of a risk because you get so many people and, you know, people are there to spend money. They're there to spend money. But, you know, they'll say like, well, it sells for 100. I'll sell it to you for 90. And it's just like, no, I mean, there's no meat on the bone at that. I say, you know, factor in the fact that it costs me money to be here, gas money, hotel money, show money, you know. So sometimes I'd say, look, if you think I could sell it for 100, I want to pay you 50. Because if it'll sell for 100, somebody's going to want to pay 80, right? I need to have some room. I can't just say pay 90 for something and then get a $10 profit on it. It's, it's almost not worth your time, right? Because you're, you're tying up 90 bucks. And then if it doesn't sell, and then it doesn't sell at the next show, and it doesn't sell at the next show, and then you've overpaid for something, and then there's no demand for this thing. And then it's, it's hard to do, especially with people with the cases. They'll say, are you buying cards? And I'd smile and say, if it's the cards in that case, I probably can't afford them, but I will take a look. I will always take a look at what you have. I'd be Sometimes, like, no, but you know anybody that's selling a DeWalt power drill? That, that <laughs> I'll use that one next. Oh, you got a drill in there? Yeah. Um, I need you know, a Dremel tool. You got one of those now, in there? Now, let me ask you this. The people that were coming to you to sell, what were they trying to sell you? Everything and anything, like, I mean, okay. they, they would have graded hockey of, like, players that nobody wanted graded cards of. Oh. They would have PSA 10 cards of, like, extremely popular. Oh, how much is that PSA 10 Kale McCarr Young Gun? What do you want for it, I'd say? $3,000. Okay. Right, or right. maybe not three, 2000 maybe. Okay. I don't know. It doesn't matter at that point because I'm like, sure. even if I tie up two grand on it, Yes, it's PSA 10. Yes, it's Kale McCarr. Yes, it's Young Gun. But that's a yeah, but, pretty big. But let me risk. ask you. And my second yeah, question: 2,000 is, yeah. is the new 200. Kind of. Boy, about this, aren't the dealers getting undercut at trade nights anyway? I mean, those guys are making big deals at night, right? And they're not. They have no tables and no setup, no overhead. Just, I mean, I told you the guys that were on the bus. One ticket. The guy was wearing shorts, t-shirt, flip-flops, Pelican case. He's going. He's gonna spend the whole day and night there. He he could come back with more money than that a regular dealer would have made, right? If you factor in the costs like gasoline and hotels and food, right? So I don't know. I feel like the trade nights have become this sort of this unknown, weird place where young people are making huge deals. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I saw pictures and video of that trade night. Like the first night or the second night? Yeah, the official that's, trade night. That scared me. Why? <laughs> like looking at those photos, that scared me. What What was scary about it? What to see? That room looked huge. The ballroom, apparently. That ballroom looked yeah. huge, yet it was packed nuts to butts in there. Seriously. Like, And there weren't any tables. Everybody was sitting on the floor. Like, 
Indian style, like grown men with sandals sitting Indian style, like they're waiting for a fire drill. Ouch. It was my crazy. knees are burning just thinking and about I, that. And I'm looking at that going, everyone in that room is going to have, if they don't have COVID, they're going to have some kind of flu or sickness or disgusting, gross crud something. I can walk around the show floor where I can move around and walk away from people. Even if we didn't have some communicable thing going around, I don't think I would have sat in a room like that. Well, I'll tell you this, though. I don't know if this is going to impact because a lot of times, look, if people are trading cards with one another, that's great because they are trading cards. But they're doing one of two things. They're either trading a card for a card that they want, and that's going to go in their collection, or they're trading it for something that they want to sell. So either way, it's going to end up either it's going to end up in a collection or it's going to end up being sold. So I don't think it's going to necessarily take away. You know what I mean? Because there are a lot of people who didn't go to the trade night. So if they were looking for something, they would go on the show floor and try to buy it. You know what I mean? And a lot of times people would trade for things that they want or for things that they're going to try to sell to a dealer, maybe. You know what I mean? Like, I have this card that you really want. You have some lesser cards that I think I could turn around and sell to dealers. Okay, fine. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah, that's but, a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I feel like we're, we're just different people who are in the same hobby, but in different universes. I mean, we're in a universe where, like you mentioned that man who just sat down and bought all the Canucks cards you had. And there's, yep. there's that universe that we're mostly in ourselves. And then there's this universe of people buying and trading these six, seven figure cards and they don't they're not collectors they don't care they're they're there to brag and put on instagram the card they sold the card they bought and it's kind of a weird thing the hobby is kind of two hobbies right there's like the mickey mantle and Mm -hmm. buying the Mm -hmm. honest wagner card and that always existed but there's more of that it's more visible you know when i started collecting back in 86 and the 90s you know i wasn't walking around with pelican case with like ten thousand dollars in my pocket, just it's not right. possible, right? right? Like I, I remember like the the best you card I had. You were taking pictures of all your hundred dollar bills right, laid like, out across your table. Yeah, exactly. Like the, the best card I had was a Stevie Eisenman rookie, and like all my friends wanted it or they want to trade for it, and I was like, no way, I still have it. But like today, that's not it. And you know, I don't want to sound like an old man, old man on the porch, but it is like two different hobbies. So like we have were listened to our show before. <laughs> we were all in the same convention space, but it was like they were in a different universe than we were. And we're just sharing, yeah. sharing. We're just like ships in the night. We're sh- and we're sharing space, but we're not even speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the hard part for longtime collectors to get over. And I think that's the big disconnect between the newer people that have come into the hobby over the last couple of years and the people that have been around for a long time to see the ups and downs of how the market works and how the ebbs and flows of cards go up, cards go down. And it's like you have the people come in when it's here and all it's done is to go way up here. Well, they haven't been around for when it comes back down to earth. And it's like, that's why I said $1,000 is the new $100. You know, it's like they throw these things around like it's nothing. And you're like, it blows my mind. It blows your mind. It, right. it You know, it, it blows a lot of people's minds that right. there's this much. No, yeah. What I keep telling myself is like, this is not normal. Like you're 12 years old. You should not have $10,000 in your hand and cards of guys I've never heard of. Like, and you're trading them or you're selling them, whatever you're doing. And I feel like you're right. Maybe when things crash, 
they'll disappear. Who knows? I, I like new people in the hobby. I mean, it's, I'm not one of those people who feels like I don't want new people. I, I love new people. It's just that I don't think they're, you know, they walk up to Sal trying to sell them a car for $3,000 without any kind of wherewithal to understand that I'm not going to buy this. I can't resell it at the profit. It's just, I don't, I feel like they're not speaking the same language. And because we're in a social media world, we all see what everyone's doing all the time. Like we hear the content creators, we see Instagram. So we know what people are doing. And so mm -hmm. maybe that's why, and, they, and those people get the most attention. Mm -hmm. It's a few people, but they make the most noise. That's what it is. So, but, and that's part of the problem is if you, if you point out the realities and point out your opinions of things, all you do is complain. If you're right. bragging all the time and you're throwing out your, you know, hundred thousand dollar transactions, well, you know, you're getting all of the, the love followers and all the right. love coming over. The hearts, the hearts, I mean, yeah. <laughs> perfect, perfect example. And I know this doesn't relate to hockey because they don't deal with it, but those backyard breaker guys, they have one of the biggest followings. They were they there. Get, they were giving out shirts, man. I saw yeah. tons of people wearing those shirts. Right, kids, lots of kids. And I'm at like, point they, at one point, they were throwing cards in the air, and people were just chasing them like it was like it was it was sick it was debauched but yeah. whatever you know wow <laughs> and that's that's kind of that's kind of the thing the the younger generation that's stuck on not i, I don't want to say twitter because even my kids think twitter is old for old people you know the the instagrams and the tiktoks yeah that's yes. it right. doing the, the tiktoks yeah i sound like i'm 97 years old <laughs> so you have things like that where it's driving the younger, and I agree with you. I like having the younger kids in. I like having new people come in, new hobby blood and that kind of thing. And everybody can collect how they want. If there's one thing that we say on here all the time is, you know, collect what you like because, you know, it is a hobby and that's what you do. But what ends up happening is you get that dichotomy between the old school and the new school and there's no mesh in the middle. There's this dividing line in the center. And it's like, there's this clash and it's constant clash. And it's like, we don't understand that side and they don't understand this side. And, you know, you just go back and forth and back and forth and no one's ever going to agree. I'm fine with all of the flash and flare if there needs to be a market for that in order to gain something. What I'm not fine with is when it crosses the line of ethics, I guess bad business practices, straight up fraud, those types of things. You know, if you're trying to do stuff just to get clicks and hits and, you know, likes and whatever, and you're doing it for the wrong reason, I mean, that's, that's what bugs me. So like those guys, you know, the sports card investor guy, Jeff Wilson, you know, the fact that like Logan Paul wears a Pokemon card that cost a bajillion dollars around his neck. Right. And, you know, this gets people excited and gets people drawn in. Yeah. But people have to understand that that's the 1% of the 1% of the 1%. Right. There's so much more. And you're not even going to be able to touch most of what these people in the 1% of the 1% can yeah. get. Yeah, I guess the, the impression it gives is that this is something you should aspire to if you're young yes. or if you're, and you're right, like our side complains and their side is celebrated because they're doing positive things. Hey, look, yeah. I took a picture of my card. Like, why would you hate me? And so yeah. you're right. I mean, maybe there needs to be a more constructive way to criticize. And, and it's true. We know they exist. I think they don't even know we exist. They don't even care that we exist. That guy that bought the Canucks cards from Sal, 
that guy doesn't exist to those people. He, he doesn't matter. He's not with it, right? He's not buying the Zion or whatever, whatever is, is hot right now, right? And so, but they drive the market and they drive the prices, right? So even if Sal's trying to get an Ovechkin Young Guns card, well, it becomes harder for all of us to get it because now all of a sudden this card is worth way more. It's inflated potentially because of the of, of the interest of people who normally would not be interested in this card. Kind of reminds me of back in the eighties, like you know, everything was Hollywood and Beverly Hills, and right. you know, everybody wanted to be at the Playboy Mansion and just like all of this glitz and glamour, you know, lifestyles of the rich, the rich and famous, famous kind of yeah. thing. Right. And, and that's you're like looking at this, going, I can do this, I can be that, I can be this. This, no, you can't. You could try, but you're probably gonna fail because the odds are against you. So if you're not in that elite 1% of the 1%, you're not getting there. And you can have as many tool cases full of cards as you want that you think are worth 10, 20, $30,000. This is such a volatile and fluid hobby. That box in a week could be worth five. It could be worth 10 bucks. You know, you, you don't know. And so... I don't know. It, it's just. I also wonder. If it it, it is what it is. I mean, I also wonder if the. I wonder if the trading card companies also respond to that part of the hobby more than our part. I don't know, but that's interesting to see because because they're the they're the flashy ones. They get all the attention and they may be driving the hobby more than we want to admit. That's well, what I mean. I'm, Luber did the show with did that break with the backyard guys and right. You know his whole defense of that was well nobody else asked me to do it. Okay. Yeah, right. Whatever. I mean, I don't know. But yeah, but you're, yeah, I mean, sure. But yeah, that's what I'm getting at in terms of that's the place that gets the attention. Getting back to uh, me trying to buy cards from people, you mentioned 400 count white cardboard box. Those are the people who are easy to buy from because they'd be like, I have some cards. You want to take a look? If they had a like a white box, I knew I'd be able to make a deal with them. And right. if they had a, a bro case or whatever you want to call them, I knew that there was going to be some some hand wringing and some uh, you know some back and forth and stuff like that. But I mean, first thing you know is ninety percent of whatever they have in there is graded. Yes, and then they always are like, "Well, it comps for three. I'll give it to you for two fifty. And you're just thinking that's a lot of money. I guess if you're spending ten grand on a card, it's not a lot of money. But for someone like me who's still relatively speaking minor league here you know it's just like i don't know right like that's I, that's I a lot to... for a card and my wi-fi is not working no oh that's actually that was great because people couldn't comp things and so that actually worked to i don't say my advantage because i was able to actually comp things i was able to pull up wi-fi and people were around my table i guess i had like good signal around there but like further back people couldn't but I was going to say, though, like one guy came, he said, oh, I'm going to bring some cards, you know, they're at the hotel. I'll bring them tomorrow to sell you. I go, OK. And they're in a white box. And I go, OK, this is good. And I look and I was like, all right, I'm thinking, all right, there's like maybe one or two cards that I know I could sell in here. And he's just like, oh, come on, sell. Just give me 100 bucks for everything. And I'm like, OK, you know what I mean? I like that because I looked and I said, I could definitely get back 100 bucks on this, probably more. I mean, I wasn't going to buy cards that I knew I was going to take a loss on. I knew I'd make a profit on it. But then I'm like, yeah, all right, you know, that's fine. I like that. I like that easy stuff where they just throw out a number. I could think about it. I could either counter offer. But when they're like, well, I've added up every card in this box and every card in this box 
has a value of seven hundred dollars combined. So I'll sell it to you for six eighty, and then you're like, yeah. Then I have to sell every card in that box, including like the one dollar Dazzler parallel of the guy that nobody wants. You know what I mean? So that's when it's a little easier, or when the people don't have any vested interest in it. I'm going to tell a quick story. This was actually a good story. Good, like feel good story. I don't want to throw around numbers because again, I don't want to talk about like, oh, I made money. But somebody came up to me, he's wearing a Phillies jersey and he had a Jack Hughes autographed rookie card with a piece of patch from SP Game Used and it was numbered out of 15. And he says, would you give me X amount for this? And I thought about it, and we were kind of back and forth on it a little bit. And, you know, he pulled up comps, I pulled up comps. We kind of agreed that it was kind of a tough card to comp because there wasn't any recent sales of it, whatever. I agreed to his price, and I gave him a Phillies sticker from 1971. Fleer made these water slide decals that I had a, a stack of. And I'm like, oh, and here's a Phillies logo sticker from 71, right? You know, so... He was happy with that. He was happy to get, you know, the money that he asked for. And, you know, after thinking about it and some negotiating, it seemed, all right, that seems right. So then I thought, okay, at worst, I'm going to put this in my case and look at it because it's a Jack Hughes autographed rookie card with a patch piece. And I kind of wanted to keep it. So I kind of put in my mind that I was going to keep this card. This was going to be the nice card that I bought myself for the show. I told myself every time I do a national or I do a big show, I'm going to try to buy myself a nice card. Not just be there to make money, but you know, also spend some of the money that I make and buy something that I truly like for my collection. But then I start thinking, oh man, it's cost me a lot of money to be here. And I just bought a new laptop computer because, you know, I wanted to bring a computer with me to get some work done while I was at uh, Atlantic City. Little did I know I wouldn't have internet access for most of the time. And then I was going to Buffalo the next weekend and I had to, you know, check email and keep up because I am teaching summer classes in college. So I still need to communicate with my students. I still need to grade work, et cetera. So you start thinking of those costs and then you go, hmm, maybe. I should sell this. I'm in New Jersey. This is New Jersey's best player. It's an autograph. It's a, it's an autograph. What do they say? An RPA, a rookie patch auto, and it's numbered. I put it in the case. I don't put a price on it. So this is a social experiment <laughs> because I like to price everything. So this is a social experiment. I want to see what happens. Like bees to honey or like flies to poop. The guys with the bro cases, it's like they could see it 500 yards away. <laughs> they would spot that card all the way in the back of one case. They would just beeline up to it. They'd gently put their case down and be like, how much for the hues, right? Because I didn't have it priced. Would you consider a trade? And then when they open the case and when they start offering me three or four things for it, I'm thinking I'm onto something. Because when they want to trade you three or four things for one thing, it's a good thing. Or... Maybe they think you don't know what it's worth. So then I said, this is what I'm thinking, guys. This is how much I want for it. This is what my head says. This is what my heart says. This is what I want to sell it for. I said, if I don't sell it, I'm going to take it back to Chicago. I'm going to put it in my display case. Oh, I, I can't give you that much. Or, oh, I can't trade you that much or whatever, right? Or like one guy pulls out his phone. He found a comp that I couldn't find because he was using an app that pulled comps from everywhere. And he's like, oh, you probably don't want to let it go for that. I go, no, you know what? For, for that, I'm just going to keep it. I'm going to keep it and enjoy it because it is an RPA of a young player who is doing really good in the league, right? 
one guy comes up to me and he asks, how much do you want for that? And I told him, I said, this is where my head is. This is where my heart is. He goes, that's a very fair price for a card like that. And he said, I'm going to think about it. And I said, okay. And he walked away and I thought nothing of it. He came back at the very end of the show that day and he said, I would like to buy that card for the price that you asked for. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I did say that price. Yeah, okay. And he's, you know, he was a collector. So essentially you put it at the, I don't want to sell this price, so. No, you know what? Because the true collector bought it. Yeah. He thought about it all day. He thought it was a fair price. He paid me for it. He thanked me for it. And the next day he contacted me on Twitter and said, what do you know? We were already following each other on Twitter. I want to thank you again for this card. I have a Jack Hughes collection. This is going right into it. I am so happy to have this card. Nice. So, yeah. So it was win-win. The guy who didn't want the card got the money that he wanted for the card. I had the card, thought about keeping the card. In the end, I sold it to somebody who appreciated it more and he thought he got a deal on it i made some money on it everybody was happy do i kind of wish i still had that card yeah but at the same time there's other cards i want more and i remind myself about that if it was a no regrets well you you know what i've probably regretted selling other things in the past but you get over it real quick that's the thing there's always new stuff coming out and if you really want something you can find it again you know, it's there are some cards that, you know, are one of ones and you'll never see. Right. You'll never get that Mike Trout refractor, whatever. Right. Because somebody paid like a million for it. And it's out of your range. But I'm sure if I want a Jack Hughes RPA, I can find one again. I might even find one I like better or I might not. I might move on and not care or he might break his ankle. God forbid, and not be the same player, and then that card goes down in value. So, like we said, it's all a fluid thing, you know, the prices go up, prices go down based on player performance. I mean, look at Jack Eichel. His cards have really taken a hit over the past couple of years because of his injury and then going to Vegas and not doing great with Vegas, though I did sell a Jack Eichel rookie card to a young collector who actually was at my table every day the previous year, found me at this show and was at my table every day this year. I brought his dad this time and he bought that Eichel off of me. So, I mean, I think that's a nice story though. Like I bought a card. The guy who sold it to me was happy. I sold the card. The guy who bought it for me was happy. Everybody's happy. There is still some good stuff going on in the hobby. It's just not all people trying to one up each other with $10,000 cards or whatnot. And maybe that's sort of the takeaway too at the national I had a good feeling. Like it was fun to be there. People were happy. They were engaging in the hobby. They were buying and selling. And I know we dwell on the negative sometimes because that's what gets attention, you know, uh, in the news. But it's true. I mean, overall, it was a fun experience. And you guys have been to others. And so, you know, so I would go back, obviously. I mean, you know, my plan is maybe to go to Chicago next year because I've been there several times. And Chicago is a much nicer more fun city the convention hall is great and so you know will we have the negatives that we mentioned yeah sure you know but they've also been some lean years i'm guessing in the past with the national where you know they didn't have the crowds they had but it's probably good to have more people there more interest because it's nice to see the hobby being discussed in pop culture and regular media 
you know, collecting cards is not weird anymore. You know, it's not like when we were in high school where it was like, oh, you're those guys. You collect baseball cards or or whatever. It didn't matter. Right. You know, you were those people. You know, and now those people are cool, I guess. You know, not that I, not that not that I am. But that's the thing, though. When I was in elementary and middle school, everybody collected cards. Yeah, yeah right. it was when normal. I in, in high school. Nope. Yeah, well, that's when you lose people in high school, right? Uh, I did it in high school, like you guys probably. So yeah, I mean, but it was fun to see, and also lots of different ages were there, mm-hmm. men and women, like lots of different people, and I thought that was good, you know. And for every kid with the Pelican case, there were five teenagers or kids without them. So I should mention that. I mean, it was you know, so it was good to see. I, I feel like it's it's in a healthy state, and it's you know, it's generally fun, and it's good to get to get, to, to get together with other collectors and talk to hobby with them because you know with the pandemic we've been sort of on our own remote whatever it is it's good to be back in social settings even though i did hear that people got COVID at the national i believe um, that you know not 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 me but but i heard people got COVID. i saw it on social media like within days so tim mentioned the trade night COVID. i, I mean, say it's you know, probably so. from the super spreader trade night super spreader trade night so you know last year i gave out business cards that looked like pro set cards and this year i gave out Almost the same business card, but I put it in my new logo so it doesn't look like the ProSet logo. And those were well-received. And then it was even funny because when people are like, oh, cool, your card looks like a ProSet card. And then I'd say, oh, well, let me show you my card from last year because I still have like 100 of them. And then I give them the old card and then he'd be like, oh, this is so cool. I have both variations of your business card. I'm like, sure, if you want to see it that way. So it was actually funny that I was giving away old business cards and people wanted both the old one and the new one because I changed the logo and they saw it as a variant. Um, I was more excited about the stickers you were giving out. Yes, the stickers. So yeah. I got to tell you, I'd see kids last year at the show and like they would take the card. They'd be like, oh, OK, it's a card of this guy. And I guess that's kind of cool. The parents would all be like, oh, man, it looks like a pro set card. This is awesome. Is that you? Oh, wow, this is cool. Oh, that's your website on the back. OK, cool. I'll check it out. I'd give the kids stickers and their eyes would light up. They didn't even care what, that it had my logo on it. I'd be like, you kids want some stickers? They'd be like, yeah. And I remember like giving some kids, I gave them like four or five stickers each. And I said, now you got to stick them all over your house. And then their mom started laughing. And then like another time I gave kids, like I gave them each like a small stack of stickers. I'm like, now you got to stick them anywhere you could think of. And they were like smiling and laughing. And adults like stickers too. A lot of people are like, oh, cool sticker. And they'd grab one. But a lot of the adult men, I'd be like, here's my card. They'd be like, oh, cool. Oh, and here's the sticker. Cause I have like a thousand of them to get rid of. Okay. You know, like, thanks for the sticker, dude. Right. I'm like thinking, okay, save them for the kids uh, and Clemente because he likes the stickers. I liked, I liked them. I thought they were, they were a good addition. Yeah. Got to keep promoting myself, you know? And, uh, you know, there were a lot of kids there. There were a lot of first time attendees there. There were a lot of people who had never bought cards before or hadn't bought cards in, you know, 20, 30 years. But there were like people who like just had general collecting questions and they're like i'm sorry if i'm bothering you because no no no, ask me whatever you want and then i would tell them i literally have a podcast about hockey card collecting and i love talking about this stuff oh i'll check out the podcast because they're just getting into hockey card collecting so there were a lot of first-time attendees there were a lot of new collectors there were a lot of kids that was all great did you have anybody walk up to you that you didn't already know and mention that they heard the show before yes you know, one guy, um, I apologize if you're listening to the show right now, you probably are because you told me I went to give you my business card and then you said, oh, I know who you are. I love the show. You guys have a great show. 
And this gentleman, he bought a Rockford Ice Hogs team set and a Chicago Wolves team set for me. Again, my kind of collector, not chasing the PSA 10 Ovechkin Young Gun, but going for a 2012-13 Rockford Ice Hogs team set and loving the fact that they look like 74-75 Topps hockey cards with like the bad photography and like the bad typography and, and stuff like that. So the kind of stuff that I want to sell and the kind of collector that I like to cater to, right? So there are people who didn't buy stuff, but they would just stop for a minute and say, I like the show with you and Tim. It's a fun show to listen to. You know what I mean? And and that was fine. They even said my name? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Amazing. Yeah, because you co-host most of the time. So, yeah, of course they know who you are. I would expect them to be like, I love your show, but you need to get rid of your sidekick. <laughs> That's no, you know what? Saying. I cannot listen to podcasts where it's just one guy talking. I've tried that. I get bored of the person really quick, and then it just becomes a stream of consciousness thing, or it just becomes them rambling or ranting or preaching. And I don't want to do that to other people. Like, even when I teach, I'm a teacher. And when I lecture, I'll say to my students, somebody, please raise your hand, shout something out, and interrupt me. Let's break up the flow of this. Or sometimes they'll just say, I've been talking too much. I'm going to drink my coffee. Somebody ask a question. <laughs> or, right. or somebody answer this question. Let's discuss this because I've been talking for 10 minutes straight, and that's no fun for any of us. Um, but I'm going to tell a quick story. I told you earlier there was a young man who was at my table every day last year at the National Comes up to my table this year. Hey, Sal, how you doing? Well, kid's like a foot bigger. So I, I don't even recognize him for a minute. Then he reintroduces himself. And I'm like, oh, my God, you've grown. And his dad introduces himself. And I'm like, were you at the show last year? He's like, no, but my son was telling me how much fun it is. So he dragged me along, and I'm kind of getting into it. So it was a son who got the dad interested in the cards so they were running around they were getting some autographs they were buying things they bought stuff from my table but i thought this was really sweet on the last day of the show they gave me a puck that they signed and it said to sell thanks for the deals see you next year and then they wrote their names on it it you know they wrote their names on the back and then they wrote atlantic city 2022 and i said so joe and lucas if you're listening and i said no you got to put your names on the front so that when I put this in my display case with my other autographed Blackhawk pucks, which are this type of puck, don't know if I'm going to displace Tony Esposito or Eric Daze, probably Eric Daze, to put this in my Blackhawk display case. But I just thought that was so sweet. To sell. Thanks for the deals. See you next year. And I just thought, wow, that's really cool. You know, that they, it was like so, a gift. But it so puts it's officially, awesome. officially Sal Groupies. They're out there. Well, it's like giving somebody a card, like a right. thank you card. Yeah, it's a thank you puck. That's pretty thoughtful. That's that's and that's what makes the hobby fun, I think, you know, stuff like that, you know, um so acts of kindness like that that are really nice. Yeah. They bought stuff for me. I try to give people deals. I try not to rip anybody off, but they were happy with the things that they bought and so that makes me happy. You know, just knowing that people aren't like, "Oh, that jerk Sal. She took my money and I spent $40 on this car." Ah, you know what I mean? Like they were, no, nobody was like that. Of course people right. can always like not buy the thing, but I don't want anybody to ever leave my table unhappy, and I don't ever want anybody to come back to my table feeling like they were treated poorly or like they were ripped off. You know what I mean? Because I've been there. Bamboozled. Like, I've yeah, been bamboozled. Bamboozled by Barry. Ah, right? Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to be that. Ooh, that's guy. a good one. It is a good one. Don't don't you dare. Um, you can make a t-shirt of that. Started trending on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> 
Speaking of Twitter, Tim is no longer banned by Com C. Isn't that great? What a world we live in. See, 2022 is already better than 2021. Well, Tim, did they just respond to your your request? That, how did that come about? Um, I talked yeah, to so, the Com C guys at the show. <laughs> you greased the yeah, wheels a little so, bit. Yeah. So I noticed. I don't know what day it was that you must have talked to them, but I noticed like right after the show started, all of a sudden, I was seeing all of their like all their messages and I'm like, what, what's going on here? And sure enough, I was unblocked. Wow. (laughs) I'm like, man, well, I mean, look, when I see stupid stuff, I'll call it out. That's just what it is. And so I don't know what I said or what I did or whatever that got me blocked in the first place, but it is what it is. But I can honestly say that over the last year or so, they fixed a lot of the issues that I had, so I have no problem. And I even defended them from someone the other day, too. So, But, yeah, I guess Sal talked to one of their people, and they're like, we'll take care of it. So, Well, Tim, you shouldn't be punished for calling a strike a strike. I mean, I agree, but, you know, some people <laughs> are soft with a capital W. <laughs> so any last thoughts, gents, before we wrap this show up? No, my last thought is, you know, if you've never been to the National, you should go. It doesn't matter where it is. I think it's a lot of fun. It's sort of like, a, you know, for a day or two, or no matter how long you're there, it's like a suspension from the real world. You're sort of in a different place with like-minded people. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, yeah, you can buy the cards on eBay, but it's not the same experience. So I would definitely highly recommend it. Yeah, and I can second that. I mean, even if you don't go there with the purpose of buying, it's definitely a social event for people that do what you do and like what you like. And you don't find that anywhere else at all. Clemente, before we go, why don't you just throw out your Twitter real quick for people, like your yeah, Twitter address? Yeah, it's at Clemente Lisi, uh, C-L-E-M-E-N-T-E-L-I-S-I. And you can find me on there. You want to talk hockey or soccer or baseball, um, I'm, I'm there. So. Yeah, I actually had an article published recently about uh, collecting soccer cards for Sports Collectors Digest. Yeah, and I also had a piece in the last issue on all, of all things trade nights. So you can read about that there, too. So. Nice. We'll have to check that out. And uh, we'll post some links to that in the comments as well. All right, then. Well, thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. As always, if you've enjoyed the show, be sure to like and subscribe. Please be sure to tell your friends. If you want to support the show, you can buy a t-shirt at shop.puckjunk.com. And until next time, collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.